Let's hear from God's word. And I'll be reading from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and be required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders meant to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, show that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. This is my friend Sharafat. My name is Morris Lee. Uh, uh, I have been working in Bangladesh uh, since uh, 1977 uh, along with my colleague Walter uh, who will come up a bit later and we will share with you uh, from Acts 15. But my friend Sharafat, I've known for uh, 10 years and uh, he uh, works in an organisation called Symbiosis. Now, to make it all confusing, uh, I work for Global Interaction, which was the Australian Baptist Missionary Society, and some years ago, uh, we formed an organisation called Symbiosis. And Symbiosis is not a disease, uh, (laughs) it's the name of an organisation. For those of you who've done uh, biology and agriculture, it's a wonderful word. Uh, This man, uh, you'll find out, has also done agriculture as I did, but I'm a backslidden one. Uh, And uh, uh, before uh, Walter and I uh, talk about uh, things from uh, the Word of God, uh, uh, my friend Sharafat is going to share about uh, what he does and a bit of his story. Uh, This is the first time he's ever been out of Bangladesh, and uh, when he arrived about a week, ten days ago, and I took him from the airport, and he said to me, Lebhi, which means Brother Lee, 
doesn't refer to the jeans I was wearing. Uh, he said, Levi, where are all the people? And how come the cars stop at the red lights when there's no <laughs> traffic police? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, all right. Well, I, I, I don't want to disillusion him. All right, well, uh, Sharavat is yeah. now just going to share with us about his story. Good morning, everybody. Mm, you have already listened my name, Sharavat, and everybody knows me in Bangladesh and also who came from Bang yeah, Australia to Bangladesh. They call me Swarafat Bhai. I come from Bangladesh and now I live in Maimensing, one of the districts of Bangladesh. And I have a degree in agriculture from Bangladesh Agricultural University. I am married. My wife's name is Nasreen Akhtar. And I have three children, one boy and two girls. My son's name Shadman, and he passed his HSC. My elder daughter's name is Sumaya. Uh, she has also passed the SSC. Uh, do you know SSC and SSC? HSC in Bangladesh, uh, higher secondary school certificate, this is 12th grade, up to 12th grade. And SSC, uh, 10, 10th grade, that's called secondary school certificate. And uh, she is presently studying in a college in 11th class. And my son also applying for admission into the university. My youngest daughter's name is Sanjida and she is in cl class 6, that is grade 6 in Bangladesh. Uh, I joined Symbiosis in 2002. When I started, I worked with the Symbiosis Resource and Monitoring Center. It's a liaison office who is uh, uh, connected with all the project office in the different area of Bangladesh. In 2004, I also started working for Symbiotic and another project, our fish venture. From 2005, I started work as program head program head and uh, trainer of Rural Integrated Income Generation Project. I am still in this position and I also work on the report writing team. Preparing proposal for foreign donors and the Bangladesh government as well as donors report, annual, quarterly and half yearly report. In 2009, 
in 2009 i was riding my motorcycle to maimansingh from halwagad halwagad then was my working place when i was hit by a truck i was sent to the hospital in maimansingh firstly my right leg was badly fractured in two places during my treatment doctor tested my blood and discovered i was a diabetic patient but before i didn't know i was a diabetic patient after 3 days they sent me to a diabetic hospital in dhaka i was there for 2 and 1/2 months for my treatment and my wife was also there for 2 and 1/2 months symbiosis foreign donors and symbiosis bangladesh country director page for my treatment i am very grateful for their generosity when i was in the hospital symbiosis employees mr morris arthur lee graham johnson david bans and anthony jenny come to visit me in several times in the hospitals and also in my house i couldn't i couldn't work for 9 months while i recovered from my accident i returned to work on the 31st of january 2010 i worked on the ground floor for around 2 months because i can go upstairs then one day our country director mr abdul mutallib akon helped me upstairs this was a moment of victory for me and i knew that i had made a significant recovery from my injuries before i worked for symbiosis i really didn't understand who was jesus but since i joined symbiosis through the influence of people who worked there i became a believer it was when a sim it was when a symbiosis works worker told me about jesus that i learned about the works of symbiosis i applied for vacancies and was interviewed in dhaka office that is our uh, main office I was offered a position which I accepted. Before I started working for Symbiosis, I worked for several NGOs in Bangladesh like Symbiosis. But I would become frustrated and unhappy, so I left from them. Since joining Symbiosis and becoming a believer, I felt I feel at peace and I depend on God every day. I shared the good news with my wife 
and she is now believer. I thank you for opportunity to share with you and I ask to remember me and the work of symbiosis. I am happy to talk with you. Thank you very much. Probably you're wondering how to, oh, maybe I shouldn't tell them, or they may figure it out. I, I, I better tell you, I'm an American. Uh, you may be wondering how did an American get mixed up with this group, and uh, back when I was sent out to Bangladesh, when Morris was, we arrived there about the same time, uh, there had already been decades of uh, really good partnership between my sending organization, now known as International Ministries of the American Baptist Churches, and the Australian Baptist Partnerships in uh, India, in Thailand, in Hong Kong, and uh, so uh, it was just a natural thing. My wife and I were appointed to be seconded to the Australian Baptist Mission, now known as Global Interaction, and I continue to work uh, for Global Interaction. Yes, Walter. Uh, Walter and I met in about uh, April of 1977 on a country road in Bangladesh. Uh, it was, for me, an unforgettable meeting, uh, and I've been trying to sort of Forget cope, it ever since. You know, <laughs> cope with that uh, introduction uh, since that day. But Walter, uh, it, it's, it really is uh, quite remarkable that uh, we have the pleasure of working together in a ministry that we love. Now Walter, what else do you do besides go to Bangladesh from time to time? Drink coffee? Uh, I know, yes. No. I, I work for Global Interaction, clo coaching teams of cross-cultural workers in uh, wherever that you're focused um, on unreached people groups in Malawi and Mozambique. Uh, and this church helps to support Ian and Wendy Dix, I believe, right? Good choice. Great people. Uh, great friends. Uh, Mozambique and Malawi, Kazakhstan, China, and Indonesia, as well as occasional trips to continue to keep my um, hands in things in Bangladesh. Yeah, so that... Uh, so I work, I continue to work for Global Interaction. Our, our emphasis is really to take the message of Jesus to people who would not have the chance to hear it unless uh, people went outside of their culture and, and brought the message of God's love in a way that people can understand. And what we want to share with you this morning is from the passage of Scripture uh, why we believe this is foundational uh, to all that we do. The passage of Scripture that we read to you is, uh, is one of the largest chapters in the book of Acts. So therefore you could say that uh, it's very important However, people don't often uh, read it or uh, think about it. Now, uh, uh, someone read it uh, for us. 
And uh, you will notice that the big issue amongst the early believers, uh, the early followers of Jesus, was the matter of circumcision. Now, uh, does the Sunnybank District Baptist Church hold annual general meetings? Have you ever remembered circumcision being on the agenda? My suggestion is put it on and see whether any more people come. Yeah, this is something that always kind of puzzled me because I mean, we, we, we weren't allowed to really talk about this stuff at home, but you go to church and the Bible you know, is always talking about, what's this about? This is kind of weird. Uh, I was actually born into a really, really wonderful uh, Christian family. In fact, my father was a pastor. Uh, he did forbid me ever to become a member of his church. A lot of people think that's kind of weird uh, and that I should have this sense of rejection or something like that. But since he was a prison chaplain, I, I tried to follow Dad's directions and never join his congregation. Uh, being born into a really wonderful Christian home like that, uh, missions was always a part of my life. So by the age of 10, I really felt a sense that God wanted me to be a missionary. I was in a good church, but we had some issues, let's call them. Well, anybody that uh, wanted to be a part of our church, there were several things that they could not do. Now, uh, I suppose the first of those was you couldn't smoke. If you wanted to smoke, you had to become one of the smoke, uh, one of the Southern Baptists. That's okay. The other thing you couldn't do, you couldn't drink in front of other Baptists. But probably the biggest deal, well, one of the biggest ones, and maybe some of you came from a similar tra tradition, I don't know. We couldn't dance. This was really a major thing. So big. Now, I, my parents were wonderful, wonderful people. But this was a big deal for them. Uh, in fifth grade, I remember they were going to teach square dancing, like uh, line dancing, folk dancing, and uh, physical education. And my mom sent a note, please excuse Walter from physical education. Dancing is against our religion. This continued to be a really big deal for my mom, really her whole life. Uh, uh, I married a girl from Texas, and although it was also part of her tradition to be against dancing, I don't know, she a little bit of an adventurous spirit, something like that, she was always after me to get these classes from the uh, local uh, junior college in ballroom dancing. So I finally agreed. Uh, when my mom was alive, I tried to be with her every day. And on uh, that particular day, I said, Mom, I've I got to hurry home tonight. I've got a class. Man, as soon as I said it, I knew I was in trouble. A class? In what? Uh, dancing. <laughs> and she said, How did that happen? Well, I've read my Bible. I knew just what to do. I said, that woman, she made me do it. Son of Adam here. 
she told me, then my mom said, didn't you tell her you weren't raised like that? When I got home and told Janine, Janine said, well, didn't you tell her that I've been raising you twice as long as she did? Anyway, it's a big deal. But, you know, here we were as a church, and we were really dead keen, it seems, uh, to define ourselves in things we were against. Everybody's welcome as long as you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't dance, and, oh, yes, one other one, by the way, only if you were white like us. Otherwise, you weren't welcome. What a terrible barrier. These were good Christian people, and yet they'd put up barriers, some little insignificant ones, some big, uh, terribly sinful ones, to keep that ended up people keeping people away from Jesus. What, what we find, everyone who goes to church or everyone who reads the Bible soon recognizes that Jesus was Jewish. He was a first century Palestinian Jew. All his followers were of a similar background. And the, the growing movement that came after Jesus' death and resurrection and the, the, the people receiving the Holy Spirit, the movement began to spread. Mm-hmm. But as it spread, it encountered problems. And one of them was that when some believers who were sent out of or fled from Jerusalem because of the persecution that came after Stephen's death, that some of them went to a place called Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem, where most of the people are non-Jewish. There was a, an enclave, a minority of Jewish people, and there those believers who fled from Jerusalem began to talk about Jesus. Talking to their neighbors. Yes, and uh, many of them would have used the lingua franca, the international language, which is Greek. And they would give Jesus the title of Christos, which is the Greek word for Messiah. That is, God's anointed one. And they'd talk about it. What happened was, you can read about it in, uh, in earlier chapters of Acts, that, that uh, non-Jewish people began to hear. And they said, hey, we want that. We want to follow what you are following. And so uh, many of them believed in Jesus and they were baptised and, and a movement began to grow. Now what happened was, and we read about it from in Acts 15, that there were a group of people very from a very conservative group in the Jewish in in the Jerusalem group of believers some of them from the Pharisees who said uh oh these people are non-Jews they're not being circumcised the law of Moses says that uh, every male that uh, wants to follow that wants to know God must be circumcised and so they began to tell, they be, some of them went to Antioch and said, now we're happy that you've come, but you're not quite right. You've got to do something a little bit extra. Now if you're like me, you're probably wondering, 
Who would know? I mean, really. Uh, but in the days of the Roman baths and the athletic events in which people complete, competed without uniforms, uh, so nobody could have an advantage over these slick new kinds that they have now, I guess. Um, they, it, it was obvious. And it was a very dramatic symbol of which community you belong to. It signaled to everyone you, you were Jewish or signaled to the Jews, uh-uh, this guy's not there yet. Now this is, you see, this for them, for that group, Within the early believers, it was important to them. So much controversy did it create that Paul and uh, Barnabas, who was with him, and the others, they said, "Look, we have to make a, we have to come to a clear conclusion about this. Let's go down to the leadership that is in Jerusalem, to the ones who were with Jesus, to those who were leaders of the early movement, and let's talk with them and see what conclusion we come to." So down they go. And uh, they begin the discussion. Those who were more for, everyone's got to be like us, made their point. Then Peter gets up. Now, we have to remember that Peter, who was with Jesus for three years, was once out uh, down near the coastline and he was hungry. He was waiting for lunch, he went up for a bit of a rest and he had a dream. In that dream, three times he was told to go and eat food that he usually didn't eat. And every time he would say, Lord, I don't eat unclean stuff. So uh, he gets up and he thinks, well, what was the meaning of that? What was that all about? You ever had that sort of dream? Uh, I've had some. Most of them are of not any significance at all. I've had some really interesting, significant dreams. But this was a significant one for Peter. So he gets up and then there's a knock at the door. And there are some people from another city saying, we were sent here by our master for one Peter. And uh, he's supposed to come with us to our master. God told him to find it. Peter thinks, uh-oh, these are non-Jews. I'm not going to get out of this one easily. <laughs> so away he goes. And they go to the house. You can read about it in Acts 10. When he goes to the house, there is this uh, Roman centurion with all his household. And when he comes in the door, they fall at his feet. He says, no, no, not me, not me. I'm. And, and then he says the most inviting evangelistic introduction that I think you can hear anywhere. He says to them, I really shouldn't be here. You're unclean and, and you make me unclean. <laughs> but God told me to come. Now isn't that a wonderful way to begin an evangelistic address? Very inviting, very inclusive. And then he begins to tell them about Jesus. While he's talking, the Holy Spirit falls on those gathered and they show an expression that was similar to what Peter and the, and the fellow disciples had on the day of Pentecost. The most surprised person in the room is who? Peter. Peter. Peter was the most surprised person. 
so that you see this idea that the message of God should go outside of a cultural boundary is not natural. God had to show to Peter, who was with Jesus for three years. Now, now let's not think that Peter was pretty thick. Uh, you know, we'd have, I'd have been there, I'd have, I'd have learned it. Rubbish. Cultural barriers are huge. They are huge. That's why this chapter is in the Bible. Without it, hey folks, we probably wouldn't be here this morning. So, Peter reiterates what happened to him. This issue of food uh, is a big one, and it's hard to kind of wrap our heads around that emotionally, what it means to uh, a Jew, what it meant to a Jew. Uh, But it's interesting, uh, eating pork or unclean food, uh, but but it's kind of interesting how sometimes food is still used uh, to either create a barrier uh, for keeping people really away from Jesus. Historically in India and Bangladesh, uh, if a Brahmin priest wanted to become a Christian, they had to prove that they were really... Uh, truly committed to Jesus by eating beef. How many eat beef? I like beef. We we all like beef. But if you were a Muslim and had never eaten pork in your life, like the Brahmin priests had never never eaten uh, beef either, you had to eat pork. Now, just to... what, What if in this church, to become baptized you had to eat something like dog or cat. Would that be a problem? You know, I've... No, no, yeah, for, yeah okay. Hey, I know what you mean. I, I've actually eaten a fair bit of dog. The first time, it was a bit of a thing. Somebody said, hey, what is this stuff we're eating? What's this meat? And somebody said, dog. And you know, I believe him because my stomach growled all night. <laughs> I've I, I had to put up with this for 34 years. Yeah, my joke writer yeah. died about 10 years ago, yeah, so yeah. he's stuck with hearing them all again. Hey, hey, but, but what's worse, the next morning, has this ever happened to you when you did? I just felt rough, rough, rough. <laughs> anyway, food is a big deal. But, but maybe that's not so much the issue. Uh, I think it's a natural human response that the things... That the way that God met me and then the things that God demands of me in discipleship become normative. Uh, this is the way it was for me, so automatically we have this sort of default position that this is the way it should be for everyone else. But that's actually not the way God operates or wants to operate. Uh, God loves variety and meets each one of us where we are to take us to what is possible for us within our own unique life situation. Most religions try to make everyone almost the same. You watch, you look. I had an experience before I first went to Bangladesh uh, back in the late 70s And I was driving along the road in my utility, my Holden Ute in those days, and uh, I saw two blokes, two young fellows, wearing, riding bicycles, and they were wearing uh, good uh, brown trousers, 
white shirts, a tie, and they had uh, very short haircuts. Little name tags? Little name tags, yes. yes yeah. Yes. So Sorry about that. That uh, I realized Americans. a couple of, a couple of uh, Mormon missionaries from Utah. And I'm driving like, ah, oh, those jerks come here for, you know. Uh, and then suddenly I realized I was going to another country as a foreigner and I was going to take a religious message. And I thought, ooh, ooh, I'm going to stick out more than what these blokes do. And then I thought, yes, that's, uh, am I going to that country to make people into someone who looks the same as me? But Morris, we're not preaching a religion. We're preaching a relationship. And that's entirely different from religion. I don't know how you guys feel about Bono, but I kind of like him, at least some of the things he says. Uh, one of the things he says is, Religion? Oh, that's what you get when you don't have God. When you've got to rely on all the rules and regulations to try to, to prove to God that you're good enough to get there. But that's not what we're talking about. And that's not what's happened here. These people came into relationship with God. And, and there was a recognition of that is what counts not all the exteriors. Oh, you see it in Peter's speech. Peter said that on the day that there I was talking with these non-Jews and he said the Holy Spirit fell on them in exactly the same way as it fell on us and I knew that God had accepted them. And fitted with his dream, he then saw it in physical manifestation and he realised that God had accepted them. So he said, well, if God accepted them, you know, who was I to reject them? But Morris, isn't that really the biggest question of life? It is. I, I believe so, Walter. Yeah. It's that uh, focus, that our, our search for significance in life, I believe, deep down, has a lot to do with our wanting to be accepted. Now, if you uh, think about it, um, you know, Jesus said, to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to become like a little child. You've got to become just like a little child. Some years ago, I thought to myself, I remembered back when I was a little kid in primary school or at home, and I can remember, I can remember till today, I can remember the feelings when I did something that pleased a person who was in authority that I respected, whether it was my mother or my father or whether it was a teacher. I can remember till, till today those feelings when a person in authority smiled at me and said, that's very good. On the other hand, I can remember, you know, I would have been a great, great basketball player except for a couple of things. I couldn't dribble, I couldn't shoot, I couldn't catch, and I couldn't pass. I was really good at running up and down the court. But that meant that uh, despite the 
fact that I was a bit tall, I was always chosen last when people were chosen up for, for the basketball teams. Anybody else ever been chosen last? How did that feel? Yeah, how did that feel? It feels horrible. Uh, acceptance. And what an amazing thing that, you know, God chose us first. Me. You. It's, an, it's incredible to be accepted by the almighty creator of the universe. We see what this, uh, in the speech that Peter gives, he sums it up. He says that we are accepted by God by the grace of our Lord Jesus. And that is the way that if anyone wants to know God, wants to find acceptance with God, it is to put their faith in Jesus. It's not about the clothes they wear. It's not about the food they eat. It's not about the rituals they follow. I mean, uh, do we want everyone uh, of whatever culture to have something happen at Christmas and we all follow who? Santa Claus. Yeah. He's got to give the gifts. Is it necessary to follow Santa Claus? No. It's not through the rituals. It's not through the clothes. It's not through the the uh, just the the outward things that we do. But it is, as it says here, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by faith in that, that's how we find acceptance. I'm so thankful that somewhere, somehow, I came to hear about Jesus and I put my faith in him. Walter and I have the privilege of working with lots of people who, unless someone went out of their culture to share with them about Jesus in their own language in a way that they can understand, uh, that uh, they have come to that same faith and know and experience the acceptance of God. Just as important as, as going out, really, is how do we live our lives as a believer here? How do we live our lives together in community as a church? Because there's so many times that subconsciously, perhaps, we fall into this thing of creating barriers, unconsciously. Uh, maybe it's in just the way we talk about our faith maybe now if I were to give my testimony how many would know what I mean okay not everybody Uh, somebody uh, not having a background similar to mine in church would think were you arrested were you on trial what was the deal here how many would know what I said if I went forward when I was 10 years old Okay, and some don't. Again, uh, don't 10-year-olds usually go forward (laughs) and not backwards? We have a jargon among ourselves. Now, I don't know what it is maybe here in in your community, but we develop a jargon that uh, quickly signifies who's in and who's out. Well, there may be a lot of other things, but the point is we need to examine our own lives and our, our life as a, uh, as a community of faith together, 
what things are opening the doors to bring people to Jesus and what subtle little barriers do we create because I believe and it's clear here that as important as this issue of circumcision and keeping the law of Moses was to the Jews they decided no barrier is important enough to keep someone away from Jesus no humanly erected barrier there will be the offense of the cross and, and the resurrection but let the offense be that and not something that I do through my behavior or through my words and so for us uh, uh, for this morning first question is do we know the grace of Jesus do we know acceptance with God deep in our heart that comes through belief in what Jesus has done for us if we don't it's very easy acknowledge that we need him acknowledge that we are sinners put our faith in him just that simple belief and it begins a process of change it begins a process within a person's heart and they will find that another presence comes into their life and that's the presence of God through his Holy Spirit those who already know it uh, it's how we might communicate that to those people who are outside who do not know of this simple, wonderful, profound way of coming to know the maker of the whole universe, God our Father. Walter, would you pray? Yes. Lord, we didn't come here this morning to hear Walt and Morris, but we came here to hear you. And so we pray now that the things that were just Walt and Morris, that, you'd, uh, that we'd just be able to throw that out with the rubbish, but the words that you spoke to our hearts, you would seal there with the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would empower us then to go out and live as your people, being bearers of the good news to the people that you send our way who won't hear about Jesus from anyone else in a way that they can understand and respond to. Lord. Empower us to be your people in the way that you did the Jerusalem Council back so many years ago. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and close.